The scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Judges, chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Javan of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Pagalim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would grow closer to you and learn more about the work you are calling us to in your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to pull out your notes page as we uh, go through our sermon time today. You have, your, uh, you have the scripture lesson there, all 10 verses of it, as well as, as always, just some notes that I have teased out of my sermon uh, that I uh, find helpful. Uh, you may find them helpful, but I also invite you, if there's anything in here that's not in there, invite you to grab a pen or a pencil and take your own notes as well, something to take with you as you take this message into the world and share it with others or use it for your own personal devotion time. Again, for those of you online, there is a link in the video. You know, the Bible is full of so many great stories, right? Stories of wealth of understanding, right? We learn about God, we learn about our faith, we learn about ourselves, all of these great and these wonderful stories that help us both in our time as individuals and as community. But you see, when it comes to, to reading Bible stories and unpacking them, we can often be a little short-sighted and read into it our own human biases. In fact, we can often only read this, we often only read the same stories over and over again, and we often miss stories that have such a great wealth of understanding as we seek to understand God. Last week, Yvonne opened up this worship series as we dive in to look at women in the Bible. Because as I think, a lot of times when we read stories, we often forget these stories about women. 
strong women who show us what it means to take charge in our faith. And in this series, we're not going to look at the, the women that we normally look at. We're not going to look at Mary or Martha. We're not going to look at Ruth. No, we're, we're going to look at some that maybe we might glaze over or, or maybe their stories might be a little bit more difficult. And, and like our last series in Job, right, it may be a story that we've read before, but maybe we've never really gone that deeply into. You may hear names that are familiar. You may even be familiar with the story. You may have never heard of the name before at all. That's, that's okay. Because as I always say, we're going to grow together. We're going to go on this journey together and see how these women in Scripture teach us about standing up for our faith and what it means to be called by God to, to do what many of these women have done. It's important for us to explore these stories, no matter, no matter how we identify ourselves, because these stories remind us and our lessons that show us anew the vastness of God's calling across everyone, across all of creation. You see, the thing that is very apparent to us as we read the Bible is that biblical time, it was a very patriarchal society, right? It was, it was led by men. People were defined by the men in their lives, right? When we read through these genealogies that so-and-so begat so-and-so, and normally it's the man who is defined in that and while we have made some progress in terms of gender equality in our contemporary society, I do think we still have quite a ways to go. And looking at these stories, it helps to open and broaden our minds to the inclusion of all that God is doing in the kingdom. It helps us to look upon people and to know and to see the ways in which God calls them. It stretches our understanding of God's kingdom. We not only look at these stories as a way to understand the diversity of God's calling, but in that we also come to understand God's ability to work through a willing servant, no matter who they may be. And so as I said, Yvonne got us started last week, and she opened into the book of Ruth, and, and we didn't look at Ruth, right? We looked at Naomi, and we learned about the kindness of Naomi's spirit and her willingness in the midst of tough times, to stay committed to the relationships as she sought to restore her family name, as she sought that manner of reconciliation and redemption. And so this week, and actually for a little bit of time, we're going to remain in the Old Testament. We'll look at some New Testament characters, but we're going to stay in the Old Testament and look at some characters. And this week, we're going to explore the character Deborah. Now, Deborah may be someone that many of us are familiar with, but it may be one of those characters where maybe we're not as familiar with the story of Deborah. We can probably all know who Deborah is but maybe the details of the story. So, so let's look at the character of Deborah. So I want you to look at your scripture because we get, we get one verse that tells us who Deborah is, but in that verse we get so much information. And so if we look at verse four, we read at that time, we'll visit that in a little bit, so just kind of keep that in your mind. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel. Okay, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidus, was judging Israel. And so what do we learn about Deborah? You see, each of these three roles gives us insight into how we can understand Deborah as a biblical character. That is a character who lives and exists in the nature of God and listens, to, and, listens and lives out God's call. 
and her role as an authority figure, that is, a leader of the nation of Israel in her time. And so here we go. We have that Deborah is a prophetess. Deborah is a prophetess. Deborah is only one of a handful of prophetesses in the Old Testament. And I say a handful because there's a little bit of debate on the exact number. And so I kind of, in my great knowledge and Googling, no, I'm kidding, uh, looking in commentaries, kind of settled on a handful. That there are not many prophetesses that are female prophets, these people who hear and listen to God's call and then, and then tell people what God is calling them to do. And so Deborah is someone who is, God has told her something, and now she is coming and she is telling other people what is going to happen, what God is going to do. Only one of a handful of females. She is also the only female judge mentioned in the book of Judges. And then we have that, that middle one, her identification as wife of Lapidus. And, and there's two different schools of understanding. They both play into the importance of who she is. One, being the wife of Lapidus, helps us to place her as an individual in the society in which she exists, right, within the nation of Israel. But if we also do a little bit of interpretive study, so if we go into the Hebrew, and don't worry, I've already done it for you, so, so you, don't, you don't have to go into the Hebrew. I will do all of your Hebrew and Greek work. Know that. So when we go into the Hebrew and we look at these words that define her as the wife of Lapidus, we can actually translate this as a fiery woman, that is, wife, which if we kind of look at the way that the Hebrew lays out, can better be described as a woman, and lapideth, which can actually be translated as torch or flame. And the reason that we can have both of these interpretations and take information from both of these interpretations is because of the way the Hebrew sets it up, right? There, there were no vowels. There were no punctuation in the Hebrew, in the original Hebrew. It was, all, uh, it was all consonants. It was all these letters. And then later on, they came and added dots and dashes under the letters to try and identify. But both of these translations, here's the cool thing. Whether we go with wife of Lapideth or fiery woman, we learn something about the nature of who Deborah is. And here's what we learn, is that she is both placed as a figure of the society she lives in and as an authority figure from God. And as we look for biblical interpreters, Deborah becomes, and Deborah is interpreted as this example of someone who is strong of will and yet humble of heart, Right? She does not just become an example of woman or of, of, of women, but she becomes this example of a disciple, someone who is called by God, of a prophet and a judge, someone who is strong of will and yet humble in heart. She is strong of will because she does the work that God calls her to do, and she does it with the authority that she claims in God, and yet humble in heart in the nature in which she discerns and listens to God and leads the people of Israel. And here's the even cooler thing, is that clearly, as we learn from Scripture, and when we read in verses 5 through 10, at this point in time in her ministry, she is clearly respected and beloved by the people of Israel. And as persons seek her out, they seek out her wisdom of what she is doing. And they heed the word that she gives. And so, the role of judges is what comes to define this book, right? The book is called 
judges. And so the role of judge is what becomes the impactful part of Deborah's ministry and what becomes the part that defines her role in ministry. And so as we begin to look at that, we begin to look at and see this cycle in the book of Judges as we begin to unpack this book. And this, as we look at the figure of Deborah, we understand that she is a judge. And so I told you we'd come back to it, right, at that time. So what is this time that Deborah is existing in? And as I mentioned, Deborah is existing in this time, the time of the judges. And as we begin to lay things out, we remind ourselves, um, and, and I messed, I, I I got it right, but it took me a minute, the 930 service. So you'll remember, uh, or if you don't, here, here's a quick lesson in the order of the biblical text, right? You have the first books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. That's the one I forgot earlier was Leviticus, I forgot Leviticus. So you have the first five books, the Torah, which tells of the early times of Israel, right? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then the the Israelites go to Egypt and then you have the Israelites are in Egypt and then Moses comes along and Moses frees them and then they're in the wilderness. And then, and then you have Joshua come along, right? And then you have Joshua, and Joshua is this leader. And so after those, those books of the law, you have the book of Joshua, and you hear about Joshua's leadership, and you hear about Joshua and leadership, and then Joshua dies, and there's this void in Israel. There's this void, and, and people go back to their tribal natures, right? The, the, the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob, broken down into the tribes of Israel. And so all of the tribes of Israel kind of go back into their own place, and they rule themselves, and they have leaders who are among them who lead them, but there is no formal leader of Israel. And so what happens? Well, when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? Without a leader, the Israelites just kind of do what they want. We see that all throughout scripture, right? When Moses goes up to the mountain, what do they do? They build themselves a calf and they start worshiping it. When Joshua goes away, what do they do? But they kind of do some not really good things, right? So we see over and over again, and this cycle really becomes present in the book of Judges. And so the book of Judges is literally the same story told over and over and over again throughout the entire book. It, like, uh, go and read the book of Judges. It, it, I'm, I'm going to give you the this, this cycle in a second, but it's literally the cycle over and over again. And so what happens, right? What happens in Judges is you have the Israelites, and we hear about it here in verse 1, right? What, what is it? It says in verse 1, the Israelites did, and you can kind of see and hear like the sarcasm in the writer of Judges, right? The Israelites again did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. And the funny thing is this is only like the fourth time in the book of Judges that this is said. So they're going to do this like several more times before the end of this book. So the Israelites do something that is evil in the sight of God. We're never really told what that is. But they do something that is evil. And then the Israelites are conquered by the Canaanites, the Babylonians, uh, just any number of nations. We're told about a king who comes in and conquers them, King Jabin of Canaan. And, and we have this commander of the army who kind of takes control of Israel, right? We have Sisera in this example. And so the Israelites are conquered, and the Israelites are oppressed, and then the Israelites start whining because they're conquered and oppressed, and they start to cry out to God, God, save us from oppression, right? I mean, that's the typical form of, of us getting upset and crying out to God. And then what does God do? The, take comfort in this, right? Just like we talked about in Job, God listens to them, and then God sends a judge. And what happens with this judge? This judge will deliver Israel from the hands of oppression, and then healing is restored, and of course, because it's the Israelites, it all happens again. So you would think by like Judges 30, they would learn their lesson, but 
Um, it keeps on happening. But you see, the cool thing about this one is that Deborah, as the figure of judge, is such an interesting character. Right? Deborah comes after, and we see in verse 1, Deborah is the judge after Ehud. Um, she's, uh, I believe, the third or fourth judge in the book of Judges. And Deborah's role as judge, and the role for most of the judges, although it plays out differently for each one, is to help to heal the wounds of Israel. Right? That's why this cycle is happening. Right? The Israelites do something that is bad. The Israelites are conquered and oppressed. They cry out to God, God sends a judge, and the job of the judge is to heal the wounds of Israel. And we see Deborah doing this in two very, very cool ways, right? We hear of this situation with King Jabin and Canaan and Sisera's army, right? The thousand uh, chariot, the 900 chariots of iron. Can you imagine that, facing that down as a people? Um, but what is cool is our first glimpse of who Deborah is, is not dealing with this situation, right? It's not dealing with this situation. This is going to become a situation in a minute. But Deborah's first role as judge is for people who are coming to seek wisdom from her, right? It tells us in the scripture, right there in verse 5, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah. Now, don't get confused by that. That's just how they identified things, right? Deborah's the one sitting under the palm tree, so it's the palm of Deborah. That's the significance of it. And so she's sitting under the palm of Deborah, and the Israelites come to her for judgment. So what does that mean? That means that people come, and when they have an issue, right? Like if, if I have an issue and a dispute about some land, I can come to Deborah, and I can say, hey, Deborah, I've got this dispute with my neighbor. We don't know where this, like, meter of land, whose side it falls on. And Deborah would seek and sit there and offer wisdom. She would help to teach and help people to understand what how to treat each other in society. And so Deborah offers this cool thing that people come and they ask her for advice. Now, again, like Deborah is existing in a patriarchal society. And I say that because this makes her role as judge, and especially in this situation where people come and receive wisdom from her, even more powerful because she claims this authority that God has given her to be a judge for the people of Israel. And then not only is she offering wisdom, but then enters this other role of judge, this sort of militaristic understanding, for lack of a better word, where she helps to lead the nation of Israel out of oppression. And so what does she do? But as a figure of authority, she summons Barak. She summons Barak, right? Barak does not come to her of his own free will and say, Deborah, great and wonderful judge, the people of Israel are being conquered and oppressed by Sisera and his army of 900 chariots of iron. No, Deborah is like, go and get me Barak and tell him to come here right now. And this helps us to see again the ways in which we claim authority from God and the ways in which Deborah claims her authority from God. And she tells Barak exactly what will happen. And she is so beloved and respected in this moment that Barak feels that he cannot go to battle without her. She, he cannot go to battle without her. She must be there so that the presence of God will be with the nation of Israel. And as they go into the battle, we see that it again is not Barak who leads the Israelites to victory. It's not even Deborah. It's a woman named Jael. Right? So if you read on in, in Judges 4, we see the importance of persons, of women in the kingdom of God who are claiming their role as authority figure, even against the way that their society would have functioned. 
And it is Deborah's nature as judge and respected leader that teaches us what it looks like to see injustice and oppression and to approach it with the eyes and spirit of God, to seek God's nature to flow through the situation. And it teaches us, no matter who we are, what it means to claim God's authority to do that work. This passage, this story enlightens us the way for the way in which we claim that authority. But it also teaches us, because a lot of these are going to have double meaning, right? It also teaches and highlights for us the nature in which we recognize and foster and grow within others their calling from God, no matter who they are, especially those whom we may least expect. You see, here's the interesting thing. Deborah is one of the only judges in the book that we do not get a statement where it says, and God called Deborah. Right? No, we get Deborah was judging Israel, and she was sitting under that tree, and all of a sudden she summoned Barak. We don't, we don't hear about Deborah's call. We don't hear about the early days of Deborah's ministry. But we see the ways in which the people of Israel surround her, respect her, and listen to God through her. Leadership and authority in our churches can come from a variety of different places. And you know what? If we are not willing to see the authority of God as part of God's image uh, residing within each of us, then how will we ever truly create a community that reflects God's kingdom here on earth? Deborah leads Barak and the people of Israel to overcome the oppressive nature that surrounds them. I mean, it could have been very easy. And I don't think any of us probably would have been surprised if we read in the Bible that Deborah summoned Barak, and Barak was like, eh, I'm not going. I mean, unfortunately. But no. Deborah's part in claiming her authority as a prophetess, as a judge, instills within this community, instills within her community, a figure of leadership as Israel cries out to God, right? Israel is seeking a leader, and God puts within them a leader to lead them out of this state of oppression and conquer. And yes, I'm sure Deborah had her fears. I'm sure Deborah may have been uneasy about taking that authority. But she does. She takes her authority, goes and serves as God has called her. And you know what? God calls each and every one of us too. God places calls upon the hearts of all of humanity. We cannot ignore God's calling within the kingdom. And more specifically, we can't ignore God's calling within community. Yes, calling involves discernment. But discernment does not mean that we squash or negate how someone else feels God is calling them. Our job as a community of believers is to bring them along the journey, to help them in that discernment process, to lift them up, to help them to claim the authority. They may answer that call in the way that God is calling them, or they may, feel, or they may get into the discernment process and go in a completely different direction. But it should not be because of our discouragement or rules or barriers that we place on certain leadership places. Calling from God is a sacred act. And someone like Deborah teaches us what it means to boldly claim authority as a manner of living out our faith in God. 
And it shows us what it can look like when a community of faith comes up behind these leadership figures and does the work, the, the work of God, especially in situations of communal or societal oppression, especially when we're doing that hands-on work of God to help others. We both listen to God's call for where we are being led and do the work of recognizing how God is calling others. And we do this by recognizing the gifts they have. Again, not by putting them in a box, not by saying, because this person is, is this gender or, or this race or what have you, that they belong in this box. No. It is allowing the call of God to shine forth in each and every one of us. God has given each and every one of us gifts, not gifts that line up with societal bounds. Some of us will be great teachers. Some of us will be great carers. Some of us will be great preachers, great musicians, great servers, great prayers. But those gifts are not tied to anything except our faith in God. We must not stifle what God has given us. And Deborah is a great example of this lesson as she stands up and shows not only the people of Israel, but everyone who will come to read her story, what it means to claim authority, even in a society that may have been reticent and not respected her because of her gender. And so where is God calling you? And you see, the other question that goes along with that is, what are your fears? It's not bad to name those fears. In fact, it helps us to know that we can claim our authority. And then ultimately, how can you help others live into their calling that they receive from God as well? Amen.